It's so good. How are we all doing this morning? Yay, yay. It's so great. Guys, it's, uh, we're in April already. Can you believe it? April Fools has come and gone. Uh, fortunately, it wasn't landing on a Sunday this year. Imagine arriving at an April Fool's joke where you're coming to church and no one else is here. That would be quite an April Fool's joke. Just want to give it up for the musos. Thanks, guys. The guys who come here early. It's always good. And for our kids' ministers, if you are engaging with them after the meeting, why don't you just encourage them? It's so good to be in the place where guys are serving. We've got a whole team that are looking after cars outside. When you see them, just encourage them. It is great to be able to do church together, isn't it? And it's great that you can sit here and enjoy as others are serving, not that you won't serve, and I'm sure you will serve. I'm not saying we're not serving, but it's a good thing that we can be together. I'm carrying on. If you don't know who I am, my name's Mark McKinley on the team here at uh, Seaburg, and we're carrying on with two Corinthians. Uh, Don did a fantastic job last week just to open up the Corinthians uh, series, and I'm going to continue, and quite an interesting topic, and uh, the topic is this, crushed into reliance and confidence in God. So easy, hey? Oh, it feels so beautiful. I love being crushed. I love being crushed into reliance and confidence in God. So why don't you open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 1, and uh, we're going to be reading this morning from verse 8 to 14. Don and Heidi are away this weekend, um, so that's why they're not here. Uh, so we see them next weekend with, uh, at, at our Easter meeting. Why don't you just uh, ask them how their time away was. All right, cool, let's carry on. We're about to launch into a portion of Scripture where Paul is arriving into this Corinth environment and pretty much there's a lot of defending he's needing to do. He arrives into an environment that, in a sense, is a bit hostile. He's coming into an environment where he has to defend himself. He has to defend his ministry. I don't know when last did you have to defend yourself. Hey? I've been in many places where I have to defend myself. People have judged me. People have said stuff about me. And I'm like sitting there going, um, can we maybe have a moment to engage? Like, I think you're missing it a bit. And then people say, no, 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 you're just arrogant, you're just full of yourself. And then I sit and go, that's not exactly what, what my heart is. Uh, what happened there, that's not exactly what happened. You, you're trying to defend your position, you're defending your character. Uh, and many times I just say, well, can I please say something? Have you been in that place? It's like, you guys have all said, like, can I please say something? Because I feel like you guys have taken me and thrown me to the curb. And so Paul is in this environment where he's arriving and he's having to defend himself in front of these people, the Corinthian church, and we pick it up in verse 8. For do, we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. Let me stop there for a minute. The affliction he experienced in Asia. When you t say to someone, stop being ignorant, often that's quite a harsh thing to say to someone. Stop being ignorant. It just means you're a bit doff. Have you heard that word, doff? It's like you don't actually know what's going on. You're quite ignorant. Often I'm very quick to say, guys, I'm ignorant of this matter. And then it sort of settles the playing field. You know, it's just like, okay, Mark acknowledges he's clueless. That's what he's saying. What's even more interesting is that Paul addresses it to men. Because men, we're always ignorant. Our wives know everything, and we are ignorant. I'm only joking, it's not just to men, but it's to brothers and sisters. Hey guys, we have to keep on our toes here this morning, eh? All right. 
Okay. <laughs> All the men are going to corner me off to say, are we going to take you out here? You see, you set us up this morning. But ultimately, when you say someone is, is ignorant or you're ignorant of the matter, you just lack the full understanding. You lack the full knowledge. You're ignorant of certain things. You know, we, we all think that, you know, things politically are in turmoil. They are. But we often are seeing it from a place where we don't know the full story. We love to be commentators of things, but we don't quite know what is truly going on. We actually are all ignorant of certain things. And so here we've got a whole grouping, a whole church congregation, ignorant of something that Paul experienced, and yet now they're judging him. They're saying, actually, you are this type of individual, but yet they don't fully grasp the understanding of the full story. And Paul is saying, actually, what took place in Asia was severe enough to, in a sense, bring me to a place that I find myself on my knees. So what happened in Asia, Paul? Tell us. Well, ultimately, certain commentators say no one really knows exactly, but some of them would reference that there was a mob that, that sort of was riled up into a rioting moment in the city of Ephesus, and it was over Paul's ministry against idolatry. And so in Ephesus, Paul was ministering into a context, instructing the church in that environment to lay aside their idols, to lay aside the things that they had made into gods in their lives. And so in that space, the people did not approve. And so there was a riot that stood up and started to come against Paul and persecute Paul and in a sense ostracize him. And we can see that in Acts 19, verse 23 to 41. Okay, so that's the background. Verse 8, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Do you think he's doing well? I don't think he'd be invited onto TBN with that type of, you know. TBN wouldn't have invited him to be the encouragement of the day. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. I don't know if you've ever faced a moment where it's like death is knocking on your door. Maybe you have. I know for me, I have a story. I was flying back from London from Heathrow, arrived in Johannesburg, long flight, I was pretty young, first year out of school, and we had a bit of a layover, a couple hours in Joburg, and then we caught this flight, smallish aircraft, to get back to Durban, that's where we wanted to go, and so we get on this aircraft, there's a whole bunch of us, and I'm sitting next to this older couple next to me, and we take off, everything's 100%, we're flying, we bank, and we're heading towards Durban, halfway through, you know, the food is out, the air assessors are giving us everything, and halfway as I look down the aisle, I see the air hostess talking with the air hostess in the front, and they back and forth. And so I'm like, oh, it's interesting. I'm enjoying my meal, eating the, everything that's been given because I've paid for it. And as a teenager, I'm like, I'm going to take everything. The folks next to us, we're having a great conversation, the conversation that you always have when you're in the air. You know that conversation? How many of us have that conversation? Speaking about plane crashes, you know, that's what you have. Don't, don't you guys have those conversations when in an airplane? Planes freezing in midair and crashing and engines blowing up. Those are the type of conversations you always have when you're flying, or at least I do. And so I was having this conversation, and all of a sudden this air hostess sort of scurries along to the, her little cart, 
looks ahead and they, whoop, 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 and then all of a sudden she puts in reverse, and she starts pulling in all the food, like literally. And I'm looking at this saying, no way, buddy, I'm not going to give you any of my child. So I hold this stuff in, and uh, she comes straight past us, and she sits in the back, and she puts on her safety belt. I'm like, wow, that's interesting. And at that moment, the whole fuselage went black. We went into this massive cloud. It was black, and this huge bolt of lightning hit. Like it was just bright, like black, bright, brr, and the nose of the plane. I'm sitting in the cheap seats right at the back. So I can see right down the length of the plane, and this whole front of the plane just goes like this, and we go down like this. And of course, all of us in that moment, what do you do in that moment? That's pretty much what we did. <laughs> For those who are watching online, forgive me. But that's really what you did. That's what you do in those moments, don't you? Some of you are probably like Mr. Bean. It's just like, Ugh. <laughs> Literally, the whole front of the plane plummets down, and we're all in that place just like grabbing up. Yeah! These people, I don't think they could scream at that point. They're just like. <laughs> and as we, we pretty much went down, and then we leveled out, and the pilot came over, he says, sorry, all our instrumentation is down, and we need to go back to Joburg. So he banks this plane, and all the way back, this plane is vibrating. And all I could think of was that brown bag, because now I chowed everything. I'd eaten everything that was given to me. As my mom always said, finish all your food, I had done that. And I can just remember seeing the grass as it was appearing as we were coming down, just saying, please, just put this plane on the ground. I literally had the brown bag ready, and I was about to go, this is going to be interesting stuff. Now, that's a, a humorous story, but yet I'm sure for some of us, maybe we faced a moment where it's like we were faced with death. I was freaking out. I thought we were going down. I don't know if I was, had paid enough attention to the aerostasis click, you know, put over your thing. I don't know where the exits were. I couldn't care. I just was like, please, we're faced with death. And maybe you've been in a situation where you've been faced with death. Paul is saying it was so severe that I felt like death was knocking at my door. Maybe death in your situation is not necessarily a physical death, but maybe it's a death of confidence. Maybe it's a death of identity. You've got yourself into an environment, especially as you see the world spiraling out of control, where something has died in humanity, where identity has been sifted out of hum the human race, where people are trying to figure things out. Maybe you find yourself in a place of a death of relationships or even a death of a dream. I think Paul is coming and saying, for some of us, he wants to relate with you and say, I know the feeling that you might have where you're aspiring to something and desiring something, but yet it's as if you find yourself at a point where the oppression and the hardship of the situation has so broken you down to a place where it feels like you're at a place of death. Dead people can't affect anything. Dead people can't change anything. Dead people cannot continue to live out the very dreams and desires that are in their hearts. A dead person is a dead person. And Paul is instructing here and he's saying, I know what it feels like when everything has been removed and I have no options left over. Verse, four, verse 9, he carries on. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He comes and he says, yes, 
even though I've gone through the severity of experience, I have gone through this loss of actual death. Maybe you've been faced with trauma beyond anyone in this room could ever experience, but Paul is saying, so have I, and if I've experienced that, I've come to realize that it was for the sake of seeing God been raising me up into a place of life again. From this place of complete disarray, of complete brokenness, God has the opportunity now because He is the all-raising God. He is the one who will raise Mark McKinley up again for His glory and for His fame. If we even go back in verse 5, it says a few years back, it reminds us that in Christ we share both suffering and comfort. In Christ, death is no longer an option. In Christ, we are made whole as He comforts us through grave moments of suffering, just as He did on the cross. There is good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Verse 11 continues, you also must help us by prayer. Now the situation changes. And He says, this is who I was, this is what I experienced, this is where I got myself to, and this is the place that I've acknowledged that God is ultimately going to take me and raise me up. But then he goes and he says, I want to invite you all in on the journey as well. This is local church, one-on-one. It's inviting the people in on the journey. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of many. When you pray for someone else, it's amazing what happens to you. You can't remain self-centered when you're praying for someone else. Unless you want her heart to turn towards you as a young guy running after a you know, girl. It's quite selfish when you ask God to show her that you're the guy. But ultimately, we know what you're trying to do. But it's that, it's that moment of going and saying, God, actually, as I pray, as I invite you as a church into the journey, I'm wanting to take you out of your little bubble, and I want you to see with eyes of full understanding and knowledge out of this place of ignorance into a place of understanding. When you realize that ultimately as we start to pray for Paul as he's inviting them and start to pray for the, the priesthood of all believers, that's you and I, the local church, and we start to engage in that moment of prayer of one another, we are positioning ourselves into the place of engagement rather than a place of spectatorship. Are we there? That's what he's encouraging us. We get to partake in an expression of the power of our togetherness here on a Sunday, here in our life groups during the week, here in our prayer meetings, here in our serving together as we get to serve and do life as we do here on our Friday nights together. We get to partake in the togetherness of what God has called the local church to. Why? Because every single one of us out of the season of gifts are able to understand that we are here to empower each other and to inform each other and to be part of this where we can see the help of God through one another into each other. The beauty of the local church is out on display when the many embrace the one and the one many. It's no longer the super apostles that these Corinthians were sort of elevating that Paul's saying. It's no longer these super apostles or it's no longer the strength that society demands of us that we will be celebrating. No, 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 that's not to be celebrated. But it's the collective of the vulnerable. It's the collective of the weak through expressions of prayer and our dependence in God to see change in the lives and in the life of the church. That's ultimately what it is. 
It's powerful when we see that often in society we, 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 we look upon people and say, well, they are super Christians. Yeah? Super apostles. Super prophets. And we elevate them to the point where actually Paul is saying, this is now idolatry and this is not what we are here to celebrate. What we are here to celebrate is where the weak and the broken who do not rely on their own strength are able to unite in one accord and be able to engage into a community called the local church so that when hearts are changed, when people's lives are transformed and changed, it's not because of super individuals, but it's because of the faithfulness of the believers. That's what it is. It's you sitting week in and week out as life groups sharing the gospel and seeing something of lives being transformed and changed over long moments of time, long generations even. Why? Because it's in those moments of faithfulness that we are able to see lives come to a place of transformation. Yes, there are moments where God breaks in. Yes, there are great blessings and gifts in the life of the church. Yes, we all know that, but we, those gifts cannot cause us to be idle in our expression of our Christian faith our engagement. So let's just read the last three verses as he wraps up. Verse 12, for our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than, you, than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of the Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Of you. So three quick points that I trust will help us in executing some of this that we, we are touching on this morning. Number one, how do we submit ourselves? Number one, abandon self-confidence. Abandon self-confidence. We live in a culture that praises strength and independence, don't we? We grow up learning to be strong in the face of adversity. Yet we see here Paul encouraging and prizing something far more important. He's prizing the fact that actually our reliance on God is far more important than our reliance on self. How many times have you let yourself down? Oh no, Mark, you can't say that. And we, we have to present ourselves as strong. When I get out of that car at, on Sunday mornings, people have to see the best of who I am. Why is that? Because that's how we live. Our culture is presented in such a way where we present ourselves as strong altogether. Been in, in the church world all my life. It has broken me sometimes. We have seen people that I've idolized fall short. We have put even my sense of worth in personality-driven people. But yet actually behind the scenes, there was a rot that I did not see. And I think even for us as a local house, us as a local church, I would trust that something of what Paul is instructing us to be a people that rely on God solely that actually we don't have to have it all together. Actually, yes, there are 
potential brokennesses and, and things of my past that literally has messed me up. But ultimately, when I look upon God and who He is and His glory and His majesty and His power and His grace towards me, when I look upon Him, I look back and I see the brokenness, but yet I look at Him and I see Him qualify. I look back and I hear the voices and I look back to God and I say, God, what do you see? What do you say? As I arrive, God, what is qualifying me? Is it the approval of man or is it the approval of you? Paul's confidence in God trumps confidence in ourselves every time. It actually isn't even a contest anymore. He points out any confidence placed on the one who raises the dead is well-placed confidence. 2 Corinthians 12, it says, it says there to remind us, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect where? How many of us desire for the power of God to be on display in our lives? I'm sure all of us. And when will that be in display? <laughs> it's in our weakness. Now this is a difficult one for me, I just want to say. Because I'm a product of this culture. I am. Best foot forward. When that tear starts to come, you talk to that tear to get back into the eye. <laughs> you want to present yourself as strong, all together, worked it out. But yet this thing wrecks me because I sit and go, God, I know that the only place where I truly am dependent on you is in the place of my weakness. You can try all the medication in the world to try and bring wholeness to a sick individual, but when all of that is not going to answer the situation, where are you at? You're at your point of weakness. And it's in that environment that the only one that we can turn towards is the one who is the Ashadah, the great I am. I'm not saying that medication is not good. That's not what I'm saying. Don't hear what I'm not saying. All I'm saying is that when we are truly at our weakness, what Paul is saying is where nothing else can help. Nothing else can help. I love Daniel Price says, Christianity is not for the little engine who can, but the train wreck who can't. Oh, the train wreck who can't. The train wreck who can't. You see, this shifts from my strength to God's is not a natural one we make intuitively in our discipleship. It's not like, oh, I'm just going to choose today to do this. This is a long journey. It's a process. More often than not, we discover this like Paul did in the fires of crisis, in the places of dependence and something else other than their own ability or bank accounts or talents and giftings. But it's like God is coming and saying, Paul, I need to take you through a moment. Mark McKinley, I need to take you through a moment. Colin, I need to take you through a moment where I can slowly but surely lift your fingers off the situation because you've been holding on for too long. For too long, and God comes and says, today, Mark, why am I going through this? Surely God loves. God who loves would not let all this come upon us. Yeah, we've heard all that, but just read your Bible. We always think that good things happen to good people. Or bad things happen to bad people. What happens if bad things happen to good people? And what happens if good things happen to bad people? 
then ultimately it doesn't make sense anymore. But what I do understand is that when the body of Christ are able to let go of the situations, to release themselves into a position of reliance on God, that's when we can take bad situations and turn them to good because God starts to transform and change our lives. Number two, number two, future God confidence. I don't know if you're like me, but I grew up in a household, and if you had an adult in your home that did this, but I can still remember my dad saying, jump, I'll catch you. Yeah, you remember that? I wouldn't try that now, but back then, jump, I'll catch you. And every single time he would say that, it didn't matter how high it was, it didn't matter how low it was, but there was this confidence in something of what I experienced in the past that would cause me to leap off into the unknown towards the arms that would catch. And I think in these moments, we, God needs to take us through moments of testing only because he wants us to have a reference point that can look back and go, you know what, Mark, you remember when I said, yes, do you see what happened? Yes, okay, I'll do it again. I'll do it again. And if you're wading through persecution and hardship right now, I'm telling you, God is taking you on a journey where he's going to create a reference marker in your life, like your dad going, jump, I'll catch. It's like in that moment, you can face forward, realizing that God, when I reference back on that situation, I am filled with confidence in a future reliance in you, because you're going to help us in this journey. Number, f- verse 10, he delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. He will deliver us again. Paul, on the other side of God's deliverance, has learned to not flippantly treat it as a lucky strike, but to, to the ever-present hand of God, that he is who he is. He is our rescuer. I have confidence that he will do it again. He will do it again. He'll do it again in our lives. He'll do it again in my life. He'll do it again in this situation. Finances are tough, Mark. I don't know what's going on, but you know, I remember 007, 008 recession. Oh my word, like my back was up against the wall and I was just like freaking out. And I'm just so grateful like in that moment that I learned some lessons because actually God, while the economy is in turmoil now, I'm not freaking out right now. I'm not losing the plot altogether. Why? Because I look back upon what God has done and I realize that God will remain faithful into the future of my life, that he will come through. Even as he came through in that moment, he'll come through again. That's why the McKinley family, and I'm not saying this, but we've seen God faithfully come through for us many, many times in the area of providing a home. We left Hillcrest without a house. We just arrived in Joburg. Squatters. Sort of. (laughs) Sleeping on the floor in office space. And then in three months' time, a home being given to us. And God just providing. So what does that mean? That When we leave Johannesburg to come into this environment where there's zero rentals. Let me just read, zero rentals. I'm just putting that out there, zero, yes. That we can get in a vehicle and we can leave Johannesburg. And I remember even our conversations saying, God did it. He did it. We saw him. So God will do this thing. I remember someone saying, when are you leaving? I said, I'm leaving Friday. You got a house? No. What the heck? Well, why don't you stall your departure? No, 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 we're going. We've told the guys we're coming. What's going to happen? I don't know. 
But we know that God came through in this moment, and we know that He'll come through again. And then we arrived. And I can still remember the lady phoned the removal company and said, just so to know, like our truck needs to be down here for 10 days, so we'll just keep it in the truck, your furniture. You don't have to charge more for storage. So I'm like, thank you, Jesus. We still don't. And then she said, don't worry, just let us know within the 10 days if you've got a place. So we're like, we'll get a place, don't worry. And then in that 10 days, opportunities open up, home opens up, phone, you can deliver. See, those are the things. That's a practical thing, but again, it's a great reference point. God has done it in the past, God will do it again. And the last one is this, a new way of living. A new way of living. Verse 12, it says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in this world with simplicity and godly sincerity. Not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. Towards you. This word boast, I don't know what it does to you, but what it does to me, it reminds me again of those moments in the playground as a little kid. You know when you sort of stand up against the bully? You say, my dad's bigger than your dad. And dad's nowhere to be seen. But there's a confidence, there's a boast in our hearts. We're boasting about who our dad is. And of course, then he's like, no, but my dad's bigger than you. And then it just goes on and on and on. Anyway, it's bigger, bigger, bigger. But it's amazing because we sit and go, oh, that's childlikeness, you know, boasting. We don't boast, we're adults. We've refined our way of boasting. Haven't we? Look at some people look at me, others are looking away. <laughs> we have. How have we refined our way of boasting? In ourselves. Well, we boast on Instagram. We boast on Facebook. We boast in our offices when people arrive and there's all this qualification sitting on the wall. <laughs> I'm not saying you are. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying, like, like just think about it as adults. I, I'm to blame too. I'm on the Instagram vibes. I'm doing all that stuff. And I have to sit and go, Mark, are you a boastful man? No. I don't go tell people, look how good I am, Colin. I just say, look at my Instagram post. <laughs> it's like, I feel like there's a new way that God wants to remind us again. Because the enemy, he's, he's, he's so sharp, eh? The devil's sharp. He knows. He says, don't do it like this, but do it like this and it will be accepted. And yet in our hearts, we still harbor this sense of boasting. Why? Because that's the culture we have been born into. It's like, I need to present the strong, what do I drive? What clothes I wear? It's all a refined expression that Paul is sitting and going, surely there's a new way. There's a new way. Why? Because this Corinthian church was so caught up with the super apostles of the time. They were so caught up with the who's who. Who, who sits where? The rich, the poor, trying to figure it all out. The Corinthian church was this church that had great influence, but yet Paul was trying to recalibrate something of their lives, to recalibrate something of their attention because their attention had been skewed. I can just imagine these Corinthian churches seeing Paul coming down the road and saying, oh, here comes that guy, you know, the, the loser, you know, the guy that always has problems. This guy is struggling all the time. This guy, when he opens his mouth, he, he's not even as good as our local pastor. You know, our local pastor, he's sharp. 
But this oak, this oak is not. And Paul is, in a sense, comes into an environment where it's like the Corinthian church are looking down upon him. Something of the pride of man looking down upon the God-sent anointed man for the time. I want to ask us as a church, as I call the band up, can we find a new way of living? Can we find a new way of expressing? Can we come into a place as a local church to identify that ultimately as we start to position ourselves in this community, as we start to see God do incredible things in this local house, as we see God starting to stir hearts, as God starts to multiply, as God starts to add, as God starts to speak prophetically into something of our future, that something of this would grip our hearts and we'd say, God, let us not replicate something of the culture around us as the Corinthian church did. But let's run after the things that you have called us to run after as Paul is reminding us to be in a position of service in a position of humility, in a position of giving up our rights for the sake of the glory of God. See, this is the moments where we as a church are able to respond to say, God, let us be not known as the glitz and the glam expression, but let us be known as the faithful ones. The faithful ones. In all things, we are faithful in our time, God. We are faithful with our relationships. We are faithful with our giving. We are faithful with attendance in the community that God has knitted us into. And I'm not just saying Sundays. I'm talking about life groups. I'm talking about any moment where community has been called. There's something of a faithful contribution that we give of our lives. Because when we are a people that get shaped by this culture, we become a people that start to nitpick and choose because we want to run after that which society celebrates rather than running after the things that God has placed as importance in our lives. In suffering, he is able to identify with Christ. This is Paul. The one who suffered much for our freedom, who is Christ. In the midst of the hardship, He experiences God's empowering presence, which for him leads him to intimacy with Christ. And all this with the hope and expectation of resurrection hope.